0: Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi.
1: And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. Yay. It's just the two of us. Yay. Just the two of us. Solo-sowed. We've had a very, very busy fall. Um, so, so busy. So busy. Uh, we appreciate everyone's patience as we take some some bye weeks But don't worry. We were just having an exciting conversation about some some new things coming to Camp Adulthood, so we are not going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah,
0: we were having a business meeting, new stuff coming yes. down the horizon. I know, yeah. I feel like before we go into the millennial moments, we got to like give catch-ups. I'm back from staying at Jenny's. My bathroom is done. And the I know that's been a done. saga. Very exciting. Um, it's like 98% done, but they, you know, shock New York City renovation. They finished it. They said four to six weeks, and they were done with pretty much everything in three weeks. So mm-hmm. that was, like, amazing. And they didn't run into any issues. So would highly recommend if anyone's looking for a contractor recommendation, send me a DM. Mm-hmm. Um, Love it. It was just lovely. Honestly, all the pre-planning and, like, all the meetings I had to have with them first was, like, way yeah. worse than the actual time that they were doing the work, which was the opposite of what people told me it was going to be like. Um <laughs> But yeah, that was definitely we recorded with Jenny, which was really fun to have her back in the city. But I'm happy. Um, it was nice staying with her. Obviously, I love her, but
1: mm-hmm.
0: Corey and I are obviously used to like having our own space. And clearly, I lived yeah. alone before that, and I don't really want to go back to having roommates, as lovely as Jenny was, and I love her. But I'm just like, no, yeah. it just solidified that I'm like past the roommate stage in my life. I think yes it it comes that stage (laughs) yeah which I feel I mean I'm sure most people that have roommates are at the point that they don't want to have roommates and just yeah can't afford it or happen to be friends with their roommates but um yeah yeah, it's definitely not not preferred but it was nice to have that like quality time with her after she's been gone for two years um so yeah we're back Mm. and you've had exciting you've been working a lot and stuff Having
1: well, an exciting fall yeah, traveling. Yeah, I've been working a lot. I yeah, it's been an exciting fall. I mean, I think when we went on our camping trip and had our camping episode, um, former guest of the pod, Kristen, was talking about her new uh, startup, and I have been working in house with them uh, for the past two months, and I will continue. uh will continue with them. Um, for a while, which is very exciting and they are doing really cool work. So it's really fun to be kind of back in that game and also been working with other clients. Um, oh, and I will just throw this out there for any listeners. Um, in November and December, I will be offering a big deal on my coaching sessions for both career, um, I call it creative career coaching. So then that fits whether you are working on your career, or you are uh, running a small business or have a side hustle. So just, uh, yeah, send me an email or a DM and we can talk more about that. But it's three sessions for $750, which includes a lot of um, outside support outside of the sessions or six sessions for I think I said $1,250, which definitely is that's a huge savings. That's almost $1,000 off. So if anyone is interested, please, please, please reach out. I would love to work with you and talk to you and get you ready for 2020. Awesome. Excellent. Um, So going right along, Shay, do you have a millennial moment to share with us? I think my millennial moment is that I am trying to refresh my wardrobe a little bit right now. Mm, I've, um, yeah, I know it's so exciting, Uh, but I've had, you know, I talk about this a lot when I lived in New York, I had, not that I had to dress a certain way, but I had a job that both at which I needed to look very professional because we were working with a lot of like high net worth clients, but we were also like moving a shit ton of furniture every day. So I had, you know, at close that was like, you know, basically a combination of gallery girl meets, you know, manual labor. (laughs) Uh, And then I moved out here and I was kind of working for myself and doing family and things are a lot more casual here. So I just kind of let things get old and grody. And now I find that I need to refresh as I'm like meeting with more clients. So I it, shopping really stresses me out. I'm not like a good shopper. I'm very particular. I want to be sustainable and ethical in my choice. So this is where it becomes, you know, the millennial moment. And I am working to create a capsule wardrobe because that really appeals to me. And I think that is like what a is very a millennial wardrobe? thing. Oh, so it's when you have like a limited number of outfits, but basically every piece goes together. So huh. you would maybe have like six shirts, Three pairs of pants, a skirt, and a dress, and three pairs of shoes, and a couple jackets. And that's all that you have. That's Like, um, literally, everything else goes away.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's good. I remember... I feel like there's always, like, versions of this. Like, I have never heard capsule, but I remember, like, Mm -hmm. 10 years ago or so, like, my mom got Tim Gunn's book, and he talks about that, where he's like... Yes. You really... Like, everyone finds this where it's like you have your favorite items that you wear all the time, Mm -hmm. and you, like, find ways to mix and match. It's like just capitalize on that and get more high quality pieces that will last and then just get like three shirts three pants two skirts and that's it so So, and it's also really smart
1: thank you and it's also come a lot from two other things that have been kind of influential with me I mean the first is over the first couple years is the whole like you know spark joy Marie Kondo get rid of all the shit and then also you know so she says you know if you are not actively wearing something in your wardrobe even if it's a beautiful piece you get rid of it um, and you thank it for being beautiful and like send it on its way and you just don't keep clothing items of clothing that are just serviceable unless they fit you perfectly and you wear them regularly and then the other thing that I've talked about before is that intuitive eating and their whole thing is like if a piece of clothing is too small on you or too big for you. Don't keep it in hopes that like, oh, maybe I will fit into this someday. You have to like have a wardrobe that works with your body as it exists at any moment. So kind of those things have all been playing into my desire, but my wardrobe has gotten very like picked over and now (laughs) I have to like buy some things and it's very stressful because I hate shopping. Uh, but my friend Katie, who's a stylist, is coming out to visit me next month. And I'm very excited oh, to... Fun. It's convenient. Yeah, maybe we should have her on the pod, actually. Yeah. She'd be a... She's be. she got some yeah, very interesting cool. things to talk about. Um, she's also... She and her husband have been touring the country in an RV all year. So oh, yeah. we should yeah. absolutely have them on. Let's definitely have her. So we'll <laughs> talk to her about that. Uh, but yeah, so that's my millennial moment. How about you, Maddie? Um,
0: yeah, so I... Um, last weekend went to Texas for a wedding with Corey okay. and it was for his um, one of his high school friends. And it was so sweet and it was so nice to meet um, some of his other high school friends were there and we all sat at a table together. It was very fun. And I'm like minorly obsessed with weddings. I feel like not only are they like a fun party, but I feel like you can tell a lot about the couple getting married and like how compatible okay. they are with how they treat each other on their wedding day and it sounds really dumb because you're like oh of course they're gonna like act happy and I I hear you like you can definitely tell and I was at this wedding and this isn't like my true millennial moment but it's just like a funny aside like they I went to another wedding as a plus one for a friend um a couple it was like two years ago and the whole time I was there I was like these two don't seem to like each other very much and the wedding wasn't particularly because you know like weddings can be overwhelming and stressful but i was like it was a smallish wedding it was fun it was fine there was nothing like bad that happened i was like these two just like don't seem compatible Mm -hmm. and it was very much like the bride was running the show and like her husband was just kind of like there um Mm -hmm. and this wedding wasn't like that like you could tell that like it was very evenly mixed like half the people were there for the groom half the people were there for the bride it wasn't like lopsided Mm -hmm. which i always like to see um even people that aren't close to their family at least like invite friends so it's not like 90 10 one person or the Mm -hmm. other um and they just like were so nice so sweet and they the couple met um working at a jewelry shop so like
1: the taste level
0: was on point and her they got like a very, very expensive engagement ring for a discount, which mm-hmm. I was like, oh so convenient proposing to someone that yeah. works at a jewelry but store. I'm sure so they like, had like
1: amazing taste.
0: Yes. That's what it was. It was like the taste level yeah. was amazing and you could tell it wasn't like overly girly just for her or like super masculine. Like it was a nice balance and you could tell they were mm. just like so happy and it was genuine. So that's all to say like I loved being there. It was awesome. The food was good. The only thing and this is my millennial What's moment, it? it was a cash
1: bar no bueno oh i can't yes and did they have any like signature drink or anything that was this is this is my thing the the the
0: before mentioned wedding that i went to two years ago they um they did the so they had like a cocktail hour before Mm -hmm. while they were taking pictures and stuff as is customary and during that time they had a signature cocktail and it was already like Pre-made, pre-made kind of thing. Yeah. Like I think they made it from scratch, but it wasn't like each drink was like handcrafted, right? It was like yeah a margarita and they just made like a vat of it and then like poured it out and it was Everyone nice. It was fine. Margarita. Yeah. And then during the reception, it was beer and wine only. And I was like mm-hmm. totally cool with that. Fine. Yeah. Balling on a budget. I don't need to do shots at a wedding. I don't yeah. need hard liquor. Like no one needs that. Um but it was fine. And it was a young it was a young couple and they were clearly mm-hmm. paying for it themselves and they did they did that. This wedding, also a young couple it was not and the thing that bothers me is not that it's a cash bar because I get it like Mm -hmm. I didn't go just to drink but I'm like a you have to tell people ahead of time because there was a bunch of people there that didn't bring cards or cash just and that's that happens to me all the time when you have like the little clutch purse and you're like yeah I don't need to spend money I mean you should always have
1: some cash on you for an emergency but like kids you know cash or a card, at least. Right. What if you get stranded?
0: But that, w- that's, that was happening, and we um were talking to the groom, not mm-hmm. about it, but he kind of brought up the cash bar situation. He was yeah. like, well, my family, he was, like, the only people that really drink. Like, his family doesn't really drink, and her family doesn't mm-hmm. really drink. And it's just, like, the friends, like, the young people that were there that drink. And yeah. so it became this, like, kind of... It wasn't weird, but it was, like, this dichotomy of, like, everyone who was like under the age of 30 was like drinking and then everyone else yeah. was like not drinking at all mm. and like some people were like i just don't want to spend the money like i'm on a budget yeah. i'm not going to buy anything so like during the toast like some people didn't have a glass in their hand because they weren't they didn't buying even drinks have, like champagne no they didn't the... have a champagne toast or anything oh wow and they also didn't like they there was a bar so you could get non-alcoholic drinks but they didn't have like It was in a different part of the venue, so they didn't have, Mm -hmm. like, waiters coming around even to give you, like, a Sprite or something to, like, toast with. It was just, like, water. So I was like, guys, like, we could have had a happy medium here. So Corey and I, the industrious people that we are, I was like, why don't we see how much a bottle of wine is? Because it was, like, $5 per glass of wine. Totally got a deal. We got, like, a huge-ass, like, double bottle of wine for $25. And everyone at the wedding was, like, you guys were smart. And we could share it with other people that were, like, oh, I don't want to – like, some of Corey's friends, you know, they're balling on a budget. Mm -hmm. They, you know, had to drive. It was, like, an hour away from their hometown. So they were, like, oh, like, I would have got – probably had one glass of wine because I'm driving. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't want to spend the money. So, like, we were able to share with them and stuff. But I'm, like, at least, like, even if you're – balling on a budget and like a young couple like get a keg or something like I don't
1: know well I think like this is thick I have like many opinions of alcohol at weddings like first of all I do think people it's get like just tell especially people young time. people get way too out of control oh yeah at weddings and it's not appropriate and I do think you avoid a lot of that by not having hard alcohol mm-hmm. but like all you have to do is say like Okay, we bought X number of cases of wine, right, Once Which it you runs can out at a out. discount. It's out. We get three kegs. Once it's out, it's out. and we provide, you know, champagne for the toasts and go from there. and also if you do that, but I guess that makes it hard because sometimes the venue won't let you bring in. yeah. Your own I think alcohol. that's what
0: it was because they did it at like a country club, like it was a golf club, so I'm mm. sure. And he even said he was like, he was like the food was really expensive because they couldn't do we were talking to the groom about it and this is where I feel for them and I don't like if anyone from that wedding is listening or the bride or groom finds this like I'm not trying to disparage them and it was actually like super lovely and very tasteful and like I don't think anyone was bothered by the fact that there wasn't alcohol it was just like I get what their feeling was like they wanted I think they prioritized having it at a nice venue and having nice Mm -hmm. food but then because he was like the cost of having an open bar at this venue would have been like twice the cost of the food and he was like yeah. it just didn't seem worth it when like yeah. and they don't when you have an open bar the unfortunate thing is you have to pay per head even though like half the attendees mm-hmm. there weren't drinkers yeah no it makes so sense. so i totally get it but i'm like yeah there there could have maybe been like a champagne toast or i'm like tell people ahead of time to be like hey yeah, all you have to do is put cash
1: bar on the invitation it's right
0: not- and yeah. that was a thing. I had a feeling when I got the invitation because they didn't put like a tire on there or like mm-hmm. anything like that. So I kind of knew that like maybe they weren't thinking as deeply mm-hmm. about it, maybe as I'm thinking. Yeah. Um But yeah, it was just like an interesting. It's just an interesting thing. And then I was like googling it because I'm all about like the Emily Post, like what's appropriate. And they said this. Mm-hmm. They said the same thing that you said. They were like. Definitely no expectation that it's like a full open bar. But, like, if you're doing a toast, make sure everyone has a glass in their hand so they don't mm-hmm. feel like awkward about the fact that they're, yeah. they can't
1: afford to buy the drinks at the bar or whatever. Well, and, and that's the thing is like, if you don't want to have alcohol, which is totally fine, like, there's no reason you can't do uh, like a sparkling cider yes, like non a cider or, yeah, or a grapefruit ju- or a grapefruit or a grape juice or, um, even just sparkling water with like a raspberry in it is, yeah. festive you know yeah. so like an ice cream I someday. would totally crost- toast with like LaCroix at my wedding why not
0: yeah I don't know it's just like I think to your point like especially when it's a younger crowd and like they have mm-hmm. a lot of their college friends there and stuff like there is for better or worse an expectation that like you're gonna get kind of hammered at a wedding yeah. and if you're intentionally like I don't want that kind of atmosphere you have to like coach people ahead of time because otherwise and i feel like because there was like this scarcity mindset at the wedding and even Mm -hmm. Corey and i had this because i was like i don't want to have to keep going up and down to the bar and like handling cash and stuff i was like just buy a bottle and like i think Mm -hmm. we ended up like i probably wouldn't have had as much to drink if it was an open Mm -hmm. bar compared to like because i was like oh we have to finish this bottle because i bought it and i don't want to waste it yeah (laughs) you know um and there were definitely people one guy fun fact um his friends referred to him as what was his name it was I can't remember his first name but it was like Dirty Ron or something and he got oh no. fucking smashed and I was like of course Dirty Ron would get smashed at the wedding of course and he was yeah. like that guy that was like dancing by himself and he was just like oh my god buying he bought like five beers at a time and we were like hey, oh this isn't like a lot yeah um so I don't know it was just, it was it was just very nice and I I enjoyed they had lovely fall colors and the food was really good and the cake was, like, exquisite. So it was, like, the only thing I was, like, oh, God, cash bar, I can't.
1: Well, I mean, maybe this should be for our special topic series. Maybe we should do one on millennial millennial. weddings because I've been to a shit ton of weddings and I have a lot of opinions.
0: Yes, I would love to. I think that would be great. And I think, like, you've been to a lot of weddings and I feel like there's a lot of, like, people that we mutually know who have gotten married recently mm-hmm. in like very millennial like Instagram yeah. ways yeah. that we can talk about. So that'd be good. Yeah. But anyways, I love it.
1: Excellent. What's your hot topic, Shay? So my hot topic, and please stop me if I've done this one before, <laughs> because I wanted to do it and then I got distracted. Oh, where did it go? Uh, so I just, yeah, New York Times. Yes, I am already a subscriber. I don't understand why you make me Log in 8,000 times. I apologize. It logged me out.
0: Shea's a good Samaritan. Oh, my God. Now it wants me to,
1: the to do the stupid thing where you have to click on all the
0: <laughs> like stoplights or whatever.
1: <laughs> I just wanted to read the robot. New York Times. Okay. Anyway, the article I want to talk about uh, is in the New York Times, and it's called The Rise of the Spice Girls Generation. Oh, I don't and then it think says... this one. Oh, excellent. It says... The subtitle is their fans are old enough to take over the world just as the Spice Girls are back. Um, And it's just kind of talking about uh, how exciting, you know, it was uh, and, and how really revolutionary the Spice Girls were kind of in the early uh, nineties and what that looked like for people. And then it's talking about people who are my age, um, are now basically have large disposable income. So the spice Mm. girls are going back out on tour. Mm -hmm. Um, and how excited they are and how they're spending big bucks. I mean, much with like the Backstreet Boys, the New Mm -hmm. York New, I was just going to say it's on the block and all of that. Uh, but I love this and this is what really made me think about how, uh, Uh, why it's so applicable to this podcast is the writer says members of the Spice Girls generation are the only people in history to have both grown up with the internet and to retain childhood memories that predate it. We Talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. Born primarily in the mid to late eighties. They are human bridges between two eras whose anachronistic birth years with their faraway century will cause their heirs eyes to widen at their obituaries. Their ancestral parallels are the earliest drifters of the lost generation, born in the mid to late 1880s, people to whom Glenn Miller seemed unbearably young. Uh, And then it goes on to just talk about, you know, their popularity um, and et cetera, et cetera, and how they really were the start of the whole girl power era. And I really love the Spice Girls for that because they were up there and they're dressed in those like skimpy little outfits. But they were really promoting this whole idea of like you don't need a man and it's about this kind of radical self-love. And I also think you see a lot of that in this era. And I was just thinking about this because I was listening to my country women of the 1990s, 2000s. Thousands, a uh, Spotify playlist, and uh, when you listen to the music from that same era of like Faith Hill and Leanne Rhymes and all of them, it's all Shania Twain. It's all about this, you know, kind of like we are empowered and we don't need men. And reading that article and listening to that music recently, I've been like, wow, how lucky that that was the subconscious message that was popular when I was like in middle school and. You know, was absorbing all of this kind of pop culture that was out there and around me. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought it was kind of interesting. And I do love the Spice Girls, and uh, I'm all about girl power.
0: Yeah, I think that's really interesting. The point that you made about like the cuspy, like entering one millennia into the mm-hmm. other, because my dad's grandfather was yeah. born in 1989.
1: 18... I was going to say, gonna say that again. Not. 1898.
0: <laughs> excuse me um and i'm always like that's wild because like my my dad's father is still alive my grandfather so i'm like his dad was born in the 1800s that's like crazy like someone that my dad like Mm -hmm. knew um so i'm sure like my grandkids and great grandkids are gonna have the same um you know like wow factor knowing that i was born in 1994 um and then about the spice girls it's really interesting that you bring that up because they've um Corinne Fisher, who's one of the co-hosts of Guys We Fuck, she has another podcast, and mm-hmm. it started as, like, a Justin Bieber. It, she started it as, like, an adult podcast for Justin Bieber, kind of tongue-in-cheek. I'll it's kind. called Two Less Lonely Girls. <laughs> it's, like, her and another oh, comedian. Yeah. And they've kind of morphed it into just talking about celebrity in general. Um, mm-hmm. And she's, like, a huge Spice Girls fan. She actually ran a Spice Girls, um, like, online magazine in, like, the early 2000s wow. that was, like moderately popular and so mm-hmm. and she actually flew to London to go to like the Spice Girls reunion that just happened at Wembley and yeah. she also went to the Backstreet Boys. What this
1: was talking about. Yeah it's crazy the she article. like flew from New York yeah. with her
0: friend and like they went and so they've talked extensively about it on that podcast and she says like you were saying the reason why she loves the Spice Girls above all other you know pop icons of the same era or even now is because like if you listen to their lyrics it really is all about like the friendship they have very few if any love songs or any sort of like sexual innuendos and she's like compared to now like I love me some Ariana Grande but like her whole celebrity is based around like who she's dating and like all of her songs actually if you like listen to the lyrics out of context like aren't that great of messages for like young girls exactly um so she talks a lot about that particular um aspect of like it's kind of wholesome and like part of that podcast there actually she hired like a songwriter, And they're holding auditions for, like, a new, like, female pop group. And mm. it's, like, part of their podcast. So it's really funny to try to, like, revive the Spice Girls Spice ethos. Because Girl. she's, like, there's something about... Because the Spice Girls, they weren't friends before. They were a manufactured mm-hmm. band. And she's, like, there's something about that, like, artificiality. And, like, mm-hmm. that's why it's so popular. Because you can see yourself in all of them. They weren't, mm-hmm. like, an organic friend group so it's not about their ego they're like a blank slate up there that you can like project all of your feelings and all of your and they're like that's why they're so diverse like there's a brunette there's a blonde there's like the token ethnic girl like it's really awful Mm -hmm. in today's terms but like they clearly wanted you to see time it yeah it's definitely better than what a lot of other people were doing and Having those, like, archetypes in pop yeah, made it so yeah. popular. Um, I love it. But yeah, that's really interesting. The Spice World CD was actually the first CD that I bought with my own money. Oh, baby
1: Maddie. That's so cute. Yes. Um, all right. Well, moving on. Maddie, what is your topic of the day? Post yes. Toast Campfire Log, if you will. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I had one or- originally, but then I saw this article in BuzzFeed today, actually, and I was like, this is interesting. Um, it's an article by Leo Schwartz. And it was published today or yesterday, I think, and it's called I Thought Wilderness Was a Place to Find Myself Until I Spent Four Months Living in It. And yeah. I thought this was really interesting, since obviously you and I have talked about like your experience walking the Camino, and obviously we went mm-hmm. camping, um, and so his... Uh, byline for this article is the summer working on trails in the burned out Oregon backcountry taught me that while humans may find profound beauty in nature it does not exist for us. The other reason yeah. why I thought this would be interesting particularly for you Shay is that it takes place in Oregon. So mm-hmm. this guy um, he talks a lot about kind of the millennial ethos of like especially upper middle class middle class kids like taking mm-hmm. sort of like a gap year or like mm-hmm working for a couple years and then either going back to grad school or like doing some sort of passion project that so many of us have done and he's like yeah I just he like worked for a couple years and then he was like I went to grad school and I deferred for a year and I was just gonna like volunteer so he worked for like 75 dollars a week stipend at the Deschutes Forest oh yeah that's it yeah. Um. And he's from the Northeast, so he had never been to Oregon. And he was like, there was just something like romantic about moving out West. And he was like, I thought yeah. it would like add clarity to my life. I wasn't super fulfilled yeah. in the work that I was doing, you know, this like sort of story. And when he got to the forest and he was kind of working for this park and doing um, cleanup after they had had a big forest fire and they were starting to get tourists coming back in again it kind of created this like uneasy feeling within him that he was like, I felt like this was my place and I belonged there and the tourists didn't belong. But then he was like, Mm -hmm. I realized that everything about this forest is not actually wild. Like any national park or state park that you go to is like very artificially maintained. Like, and part of it is for ADA accessibility. Like a lot of Mm -hmm. the trails at, he uses Yosemite as an example, are paved so that people on wheelchairs can go but like it's actually very bad for the environment to have paved roads and you're cutting down trees and yeah. all of that. So how do you maintain
1: I... Oh sorry, go on. How do um, you maintain it?
0: Yeah. So like how do you maintain this like wilderness and why why is it important to have pristine wilderness? It's so people like him can go and be quiet and have quiet time. And then people always complain, oh, at the national parks and the state parks they're always so crowded. And it's like, well, if you really wanted real real wilderness, it doesn't exist to serve you. The only reason that this park serves you is because it's artificial. So it's kind of this like circular sort of Mm -hmm. logic. And he talks another sort of part of the article, he talks about like, the people that do this kind of real serious work at national parks and stuff like they're not doing it out of a love for wanting to have this romantic relationship with the wildlife, they're doing it in order to have as much accessibility as possible while also saving it. And those two things are always in tension with each other because the more people you have visiting, the more revenue there is, but you're degrading the wildlife. And so they're kind of, there's, it's like a no win situation
1: for them. So I just think it's a really interesting article. So we'll post to it. That's awesome. Um, I have many opinions about this. Um, I think first and foremost it's it's particularly interesting in oregon because this is also a big conversation that is going on now about mount hood uh, so mount hood is many parts of it are basically untouched wilderness and they even have roads that go through they're completely pristine um and people have worked very hard to keep them that way uh unfortunately uh Mount Hood could become an active volcano like Mount St. Helens type explode uh, at any moment. And if that happens, the devastation to this part of the Pacific Northwest, the hundreds of thousands of people who live at the base of the mountain. um, I mean, it could be a really catastrophic loss of life and industry. Um, But there again becomes this tension because if they put Volcanic activity measurement stations on the mountain. They would need something like 30 to really feel like they were monitoring the mountain in a way that would keep people safe. They would have to put a road up to Mm -hmm. every station and that would devastate the wilderness. Um, So, right now, Mount Hood basically is not monitored. There's four stations and it could blow at any moment um, and we would have no warning or very little warning. Uh, So, I think that's a really interesting, again, kind of another look at that, that tension. And I am someone who has spent a lot of time in the wilderness. And I think there are places you can go if you want to find pristine wilderness that are not necessarily in the national parks and the national parks live for conservation and education. And that is actually what's really important because you can really influence, I think, future generations on what they need to do to save the wilderness that is not protected by exposing them to, even if it is a a, truly a park-like version of it, um, in the national parks, because that educational piece is so important. Um, And also, a lot of our national parks are huge. So yes, of course, there's a bunch of people who get off and go and see Old Faithful or whatever, but that doesn't mean that most of Yosemite isn't also still wild. So I think there's just a lot to think about there um also i'm kind of laughing at this whole idea of like you know going to the wilderness to like find yourself or whatever um because first of all my personal experience of long distance hiking is you literally don't think about <laughs> shit the whole time you're doing it like it's it's a really weird experience yeah. i mean it was for me it's I funny that have you say these... that
0: because he yeah. brings that up in the article that like yeah. he he was i think he said if i remember correctly like 25 mm-hmm. percent of your time And they were I mean, they were working for the the service of the park, but they were in order to do the work. They had to like camp out in the wilderness in order to like clear all the brush Uh from this wildfire. So he was like 25 percent of my time was like figuring out where I was going to go to the bathroom. And then 75 percent of my time was like pitching my tent and eating.
1: And that's it. That's like he was like, I didn't. He said the same thing. That's why it's funny that you're saying that. Oh, my God. And it's just awesome because it's like you know you think you're gonna have all these like great grand thoughts and then you literally just think about nothing and it's so funny because i in, in my own life thinking about this recently i'm like maybe i need to do this again because i would just really love to fucking not think about anything yeah. <laughs> for like a couple hours that would be awesome so I, maybe i need to go back and do that yeah um i think it's interesting current... the point oh go ahead oh sorry no I was gonna say i'm currently rereading um texts from Jane Eyre by Daniel Mallory Ortberg. And I was reading the one on Thoreau last night. And it's so, so basically in this book, she, or he, Daniel Mallory Ortberg was a woman when he originally wrote the book, but now he's a man. Uh, So he is writing this book about Thoreau, who like, if you know Thoreau, Thoreau went to the wilderness to live deliberately. But the in the like kind of satire of it he's like texting his friend being like oh can you bring me a sandwich i'm hungry and it's hysterical and i would yeah. recommend everybody read that book the other thing about, that's kind of what it is
0: yeah the thing about throat too not to get on too much of a tangent but like yeah. his mom came to walden and did his laundry for him so like he wasn't even yes. by himself the whole time and he had don't access even to get modern me started stuff. on all of these idiots yeah so yeah that's an interesting point no i think it's interesting the first point that you were making about mount hood there's a lot going on right now in california with the forced blackouts because Mm -hmm. of the electrical company and a lot of it it's like it's all a catch-22 with the wilderness stuff that like yeah you need people to experience it otherwise they won't conserve what's left Mm -hmm. and you don't want to be discriminatory towards people but in california a lot of you know there's a variety of factors this is not the only factor but one of the factors of why Wildfires are getting more prevalent in California is because of population density, obviously. And they have very strict environmental laws on clearing trees. So the environmental companies get access to the land and they install stuff there, but they can't actually clear the forest to make it safe. So you have foliage that's up against power plants and power lines and you get sparks. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the reason. And then more and more people are moving there. They're having population growth. And so it's like their solution is just turning off power intermittently to stop the sparks. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, OK, in that situation, maybe we can, you know, clear a couple of the trees so that it's not burning down all of Southern California and causing like yeah. catastrophic damage. You know what I mean? So yeah. I think there is a happy balance. But I think this the particular thing that I liked about this article was it was kind of taking down this facade of like like there's nothing there's very not nothing, but there's very few places that are truly wilds Mm -hmm. that are untouched Mm -hmm. by anything like we live in such a connected world that like the runoff even if you're in the middle of the wilderness by yourself like you're still getting runoff pollution or light pollution or Mm -hmm. you know with the internet people are always finding like this is the last untouched place this is where you really want to go or you know which places we choose to conserve like they talked about he talks about in the article Yosemite using that as an example there's the Yosemite Valley which is beautiful it's gorgeous there's another valley to the to the side of Mm -hmm. it called the Hetch Hetchy Valley, not a great name, and it was dammed many years ago to support San Francisco for water, and prior to that, it was just as beautiful, just as nice as Yosemite, and we chose basically to dam Hetch Hetchy and to not conserve it for San Francisco, and we chose to save Yosemite kind of arbitrarily, and that's a big Mm -hmm. symbol, you know, the Yosemite Half Dome and everything is a big symbol for Mm -hmm. America, but it's like, where we choose to go and what wilderness we decide to try to find ourselves is kind of arbitrary. It's not, it's, it's not there to like, we're acting like it's there to serve us, but really it's just like a glorified Disneyland. So anyways, it's kind of cynical, but yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's (laughs)
1: lots to be said on that topic and maybe that's another one we can add to our list. Yes. Wilderness. All right. Well, okay. um, it's starting to get a bit squirrely over in here for me. So uh, perhaps do we can do a of few questions. of our questions yes. and then move and then have this be a little bit of a shorter episode, but not one filled with any less love.
0: Yes. Um, do you want to do three questions? Let's do three. Okay. I think, right. I, think I, I actually don't the have them up today. Okay. So I have them you, up. So I can ask you them. are in charge. Um, how do you rein in self critical
1: voices? <clears throat> I don't because I'm an Enneagram 9. Uh, what does that mean for our non Enneagram? Uh, no. So it just, people? I just, I feel like I. You just let them happen and be, you don't silence them? I just let them happen. Yeah. I mean, I think I, well, no, I mean, I think I do have to work to silence those self critical voices because I feel like I have extremely high self esteem, but I also. It's not that I think badly of myself, but I feel like I can be the h- harder on myself than anybody else is. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, you're always your yeah. biggest
0: critic. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I I'm a very like action oriented person. So like when I am like, I can't do this. This is not working. Mm-hmm. Like I always try to, either like reorient myself towards something that I'm better at, which like for better or for worse. Mm-hmm. or I try to like make a plan I'm always like trying to plan ahead a lot yeah. to a fault so I think that helps if I'm like well I can't do it now mm-hmm. I either like push it aside and I'm like well we're not doing that anymore and it's dumb or yeah. let's like reevaluate and I kind of like talk myself into like oh this was always the plan all along and yeah I'm I like to do. that um yeah. the next one this is really funny for what we were talking about before we started recording yeah how long can you go without checking your emails or texts
1: um, on a weekday, maybe an hour on the weekend, I can go for a whole day. Yeah. But it's, it's like a, I have to make a conscientious choice. Yeah. To not look at it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think during the weekday, like if I'm working, mm-hmm. like email, it's like constant. Like I know there are some oh, people. Oh yeah, my email's
1: always up. Yeah. Which I know I shouldn't, but whatever. I know. There's Sometimes like, I pause it. Yeah.
0: There's the schools of thought that like people that like batch their emails and they only check it once a day I'm like where are you working because I would love to work there um yeah it's just like not a reality um so yeah email like if I'm at work like I always have the window up um and sometimes I'll like close it if I'm like deep working into something but usually it's up Mm -hmm. but on my phone it's interesting like if I I have email on my phone but I really never check it I've gotten into the habit of like I only check email when I'm sitting at work on my desk unless I'm like like, expecting an email just because, like, I found recently, like, it does make me anxious where it's, like, if I check it, then I have to respond to it right away. Like, I can't leave it mm-hmm. just, like, on red And yeah. I'll just, like, dwell on what I want to say in response until I respond to it. So I have to do it right away. Um, yeah. But, like, texts, I don't have – I have my phone on silent, like, perpetually. I don't have it on Ring or Vibrate. Mm-hmm. I haven't, like, for years. So um, it's really just when I look at it. But I will say there is, like, the impulse when I'm sitting at my desk. But – I will say like on the weekends or like even when we were camping like I definitely Uh you know there was like good cell service there like it was once a day but I felt I think I consider this a strength of mine that I feel I think a lot of people struggle like being in the moment Uh and setting like a boundary with other people. It's actually funny kind of a tangential aside today. Uh um, I'm usually pretty quick with responding to emails especially like in the middle of the day i think people know that i'll respond and someone in the kappa world we were emailing about something yesterday around lunchtime and i didn't Mm -hmm. we were kind of like ping-ponging back and forth via email like a couple times yesterday and then i had a bunch of back-to-back meetings in the afternoon i didn't respond to it and -hmm. she actually called me this morning and was like (laughs) she was like how are you you didn't respond to my email like did you have an okay afternoon are you okay like she was genuinely concerned for my safety and I was like girl it has not been 24 hours it was sweet but I was like that's annoying what the hell I was like I haven't like this was not a critical issue that we were talking about at all um Mm -hmm. so I I didn't even call her back I texted her and I was like I'm fine I didn't get home to work home from work yesterday until 9 p.m which is true and um I was in back-to-back meetings all day so like I'm sorry I didn't respond to it right away and she was like oh no it's fine I didn't want to bug you I just wanted to make sure you're okay because you usually respond and Uh, this goes back to my point of like if you're always in pocket and you're someone that like always responds right away and is always available people start to expect that but if you're like I have there's some people that I work with that I'm like I just know that they won't check my email for two days and it's fine Mm -hmm. but the person that like like they somehow get a pass but like the person that will respond to me right away on slack Mm-hmm. if they don't I'm like what's wrong why are they not responding yeah. to me yeah interesting you know what I mean so I try to like yeah. on the weekends especially like I don't think I ever check my emails on the weekends unless I like have my computer open and mm-hmm. I can respond so I don't yeah. know
1: excellent it's interesting right. um last question
0: I'm gonna skip this one just because I think it's like a long it's gonna be like a longer topic
1: okay so maybe we can
0: come back to that another time yes. but this one this next one's good if a mysterious benefactor wrote you a check for $5,000 and said, help me solve a problem, any problem, what would you do with him or her? So how would you solve a problem with $5,000, basically? Or what What would you put that I, money I towards? I can't
1: answer that question without knowing what the problem is. I think it's like whatever, I think the, it's also, like this what's is the biggest problem in your mind that should be solved with $5,000? Like, people pay me money, and I talk to them about their problems, and then we solve them. So you would be like, I'll take your $5,000, and I'll give you coaching sessions. I guess. <laughs> That's I good. I don't know if they were I – I don't know, yeah. I feel like I – yeah, what would you do? Um,
0: yeah, I feel like I would – well, I guess it's depending on, like, if I feel – Like selfish or altruistic that day because I I could take it and be like I could fix something in my apartment like I could put it towards my bathroom renovation and be like that was a huge problem but only for me (laughs) yeah or I could be like here's five thousand dollars for like the ACLU that would solve a lot of problems
1: yeah yeah and that's like what I was thinking I was like or do you get really specific and you're like okay. I can build a well in Africa for five thousand dollars. Yeah. I mean I can't personally, but I right. can pay the people who build wells. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like I would I would probably like if it was Honestly, I'm very skeptical of, like, people giving away free money, so I probably wouldn't use it on myself just because I'm, like, nervous because I've seen too many movies where it's, like, there's always strings attached. Yeah. So I would probably just pick, like, whatever topic du jour, like, today because I've been reading about this stuff in California and this article that we were just talking about, I would probably donate it to, like, the national parks or something. Yeah. And be, like,
1: do some, like,
0: fire prevention.
1: I've learned there's a lot of smaller nonprofits that you think – get a lot of money and you can give them a relatively small amount of money and it can be life changing for them. So something to think about.
0: Yeah, totally. And there's so much like right now, um is doing like their founder's day. I'm sure you've seen it. They've been sending out like yes. ten thousand emails. Um, which I'm like, Maybe. how does that lady have six hundred thousand dollars to just give away? But like that's fine. All right, all right. She Good must be her. super rich. Um yeah for those that don't know cap our sorority is doing it's our founders day and they're doing like a matching campaign with this like benefactor woman so if you give ten dollars she'll match ten dollars up to like six hundred thousand dollars um and i'm like i've talked to so many people like like even laura our friend with her hip problem like Mm -hmm. she got a rose mcgill grant that's like their Mm -hmm. grant for like women in need and stuff like they it's nonprofit is so interesting this could be another topic for an episode of like There are so many nonprofits that you think are just, like, getting so much money and are just, like, breaking it in and they're not. But then there's also nonprofits who are, like, we are open, like, if you ask for the money. I think this happens with college scholarships a lot. There's so many private scholarships for, like, you know, people whose kids were deceased and they've had a scholarship in their honor for the school for a specific Mm -hmm. thing or, like, affinity groups and stuff. Um, and people like there's so many scholarships that people just don't apply to, and then they can't give away the money. Yeah, you know, exactly. or like yeah. really generous. Like I think the Kappa ones are really generous. I mean, they go to a good yeah, cause. Like nice. I'm glad Laura got one for sure. But I'm, mm-hmm. you know,
1: they pretty much like they if you meet help the qualifications. Also some people who are like totally devastated too. Yeah,
0: definitely. Like all the yeah. wildfires in California and stuff. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. It's a it's an interesting question. Like I think unfortunately outside of like. Like, I don't think there's any problems that are, like, 100% solved with $5,000. Like, you could give yeah. it to, like, a homeless person, and that would be a lot to them, but I don't think it would solve all their problems.
1: But, like, it would be, I don't know, maybe, like, with the holidays coming up, if I had five grand, I'd give a $1,000. Like, if someone said, here's five grand, you have to do it for altruistic, maybe I'd find, like, five families in need and give them each a $1,000 yeah. so it's they like can more have, specific. like, a really nice Christmas. Yeah. Yeah. Or Hanukkah or whatever, Diwali yeah definitely yeah cool all right listeners we love you um get excited we've got a lot of fun stuff coming down the interwebs
0: for you yes we're super excited definitely and if you have um suggestions I guess we should probably say what we've been alluding to because we were talking about it before we were recording and then we've said it like three times but we're thinking about um doing more like topic focus we'll say we haven't really flushed out all the details but doing more deep dives into some of our
1: yeah. hot so topics like the biggest bonfire yeah, camp adulthood Ooh, yeah campfire the topic. branding
0: to- that we could really brand this really nicely I didn't even think about that mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah if you have any um particular topics that maybe we glossed over in a millennial moment or hot topic that you really really resonated with you that you would like a little bit more deep dive into email us hello at campadulthood.com or send us a dm at camp underscore adulthood on Twitter and Instagram or if you um, have any
1: interesting guest suggestions we're always our inbox is always yeah. open we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to talk to you so That's okay all right thank you campers we love you Bye.
0: Bye. thanks for listening Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi Resident Youth and Shay Keats Camp Adulthood we are produced by Jenny Mayfield and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.